You're listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Roz Report series of the Radically Pragmatic Podcast. I'm Curtis Valentine, co-director of the Progressive Policy Institute's Reinventing America Schools Project. I'm coming to you today from Austin, Texas and South by Southwest EDU. South by Southwest EDU is an annual event fostering innovation and learning within the education industry. South by Southwest EDU brings together the learner, the practitioner, the entrepreneur, and the visionary to share groundbreaking stories, tackle complex issues, and build reimagined paths forward. Our special South by Southwest EDU series is called The Future of Teaching and is an opportunity to discuss the post-pandemic landscape of teaching in America. The Future of Teaching series is in collaboration with The 74, the premier news outlet covering education in America, driving an honest, fact-based conversation about how to give America's 74 million children the education they deserve. My guest today is Dr. Lisa Herring, the superintendent of Atlanta Public School System. And today we'll be talking about reshaping school leadership for the future. Dr. Herring, welcome to our podcast today. How are you doing? Hey, I am well. I am excited to be a participant with South by Southwest EDU here in Austin. And um, I'm happy to be able to join you today. So how are you liking the the conference so far? Uh, Anything interesting happen? You know, uh, there are two things that stand out. Uh, It's been a minute before all of us, uh, since all of us rather, have been able to convene uh, in this type of an environment. And so it is refreshing to, uh, number one, just be present. Secondly, to actually encounter and be reminded of colleagues who are innovators and leaders in this field and also colleagues who've been doing some work even during this uh, uh, COVID transition and they're ready to hit the ground to take uh, the work in education to the next level. Uh, That's what stands out. I feel the energy and I see the passion and the vision uh, for the future. No, um, it's exciting for me to be here as well. I had a chance to see uh, your your panel, an amazing conversation with other leaders in in this space, and you know, again, it's it's just really good to be back in person. I did want to talk, you know, firstly about yourself and just your story. How did you come to lead the Atlanta public school system? The story, um, the journey to the superintendency, uh, uh, sir, has been an extraordinary one for me. I I arrived here in Atlanta um, or in the role of superintendent in Atlanta in 2020. um, And I uh, did so after having served as superintendent in Birmingham, Alabama, in Birmingham City Schools. Like many people, um, my journey started perhaps at the place where I was shaped most, and that's in Georgia in um, Macon, Georgia, where I was born and raised. But with a a two-parent household and and, and three other siblings where education was articulated as an important priority in our lives. Um, 
And uh, where I chose to leave Macon and go to college at, in Atlanta, Georgia, at Spelman College. And Spelman shaped a great deal of my interest in being um, an African-American female leader that would pursue education as her area of interest. Fast forward that, just to simply fast forward it. I started out in this area of teaching, thinking that I would teach and then go to law school. My journey shifted. While at Spelman, I found a passion for advocating, serving, and working on behalf of children. And that has led to a series of opportunities and experiences that have moved from the classroom to counseling to central office and urban districts in several parts of the southeastern U.S. Uh, started out after grad school in DeKalb County, then to my hometown of Macon, then to Charleston, then to Louisville, then to Birmingham. And to your point, the most uh, recent appointment over the last year and a half as the superintendent of Atlanta Public Schools. I believe it was just a destiny that I would be serving and advocating for children uh, in the urban components of our country, but particularly in the southeastern part of the United States. And Atlanta saw something in my leadership and in my passion for children that they believed was a connect that was tied to the direction that the board wanted to go. And that's been a part of why uh, I believe I've been in this role. Similarly, just like being at the South by Southwest experience here in Austin, I believe in reinventing, reimagining, and innovating what's right and necessary in education for children. And I'd like to think that that's a part of this, this appointment as well. Wow. <laughs> so um, so I, I see why they brought you all the way out to Austin to talk about school leadership. I mean, you clearly have you know the experience and have worked throughout the system to really be the, the leader that I think our school leaders right now need is someone who understands what they're going through. Um, you know, you're here in Austin, you know, uh, discussing, you know, reshaping school leadership for the future. My first question really is, you know, what is the current state of school leadership and how how does it impact how effective teachers uh, can be? Well, I think that's a very appropriate and necessary question as we have, as I just said uh, with uh, with my panel here, uh, we've 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 progressed out of what's been a twin pandemic or twin pandemics, um, an opportunity to learn from, gauge from, and define a sense of urgency relative to a global health pandemic and a pandemic tied to social justice. And as I see even here uh, in Austin, individuals who are passionate about advocating for what is necessary and critical in the work, school leadership is by far, I think, top of mind, especially in the, in the work that I do. In the opportunity to shape and define what school leadership must look like, especially for uh, communities, urban communities, where there is a high need to focus on how do we support and advocate and empower black and brown families, in addition to those who are disenfranchised through socioeconomics, is a real challenge, but it is not an impossibility. So preparing school leaders, or at least articulating an expectation of even current school leaders, to take on these challenges with children and community in mind um, is a part of the most prevalent work that's in front of us. Uh, thinking about what levels of trauma have occurred over the last two years and what existed prior to that is a critical part of that shaping. Empowering school leaders to have a sense and an appreciation and move from any type of fear that's tied to innovation and technology and where we must meet scholars where they are in 2022 and for 
2023 and beyond. That's a reality. Uh, I think that's one of the most critical conversations. It's the narrative that we have to own. And it's what school leaders, whether they can articulate it or not, really need for school districts to do to be certain that we prepare them so that they can prepare our scholars for, for future journeys. And and how does that affect teachers in the classroom? And so, you know, if you're a, if you're a school teacher, you know, and we're looking to really, you know, reshape, you know, what school leaders look like, you know, how they come to the space, you know, how they're trained. What does that future look like? What does that look like for, for teachers who are, you know, in the profession now or looking to get into teaching? Well, you know, Curtis, I think it's much like what we see here, uh, even in Austin at South by Southwest EDU. I uh, just recently had a conversation with a, a group of uh, teacher coaches who are, I guess they would call themselves architects um, in the area of technology and classroom redesign. We have a responsibility um, to understand what areas of interest uh, reside inside of existing teachers and aspiring teachers. We need to be very thoughtful and, and critical in a very healthy way to think about how do we reshape, reshape pedagogy? How do we think about the practice of teaching, the science of teaching in such a way that we are reaching all? And when I say all, that we're able to, to target scholars across all areas of socio-demographics, race, um, uh, finance, etc. But then also build a pipeline for uh, teachers. Pipeline and pathway, that's what comes to mind. So when I say that, it's always uh, telling to me to hear from uh, aspiring teachers who are in post-secondary programs, whether they are aspiring school leaders or they're trying to be master teachers, to ensure that we are preparing them through practice and not just through theory about what is realistic in 2022. So you keep hearing me say that, right? To step into the classroom. Mm -hmm. I don't want us to lose the attraction to the profession because that's a, that's a space where we need to pay attention. After having gone through, as I said earlier, a very unique season, We've got to be very intentional around um, elevating the role and the value and the importance of the classroom teacher and also creating pathways and trajectories for outstanding classroom teachers to, to turn into outstanding school leaders. That's a part of the work, right? Um, and to be able to help us across our country, down to our state, down to our school districts, understand the role that the classroom teacher plays how powerful it is and how necessary. I'll just add this to the, to the conversation that they also are a reflection of the children that they serve. Today at, at your, um, you know, your talk, there was an announcement and new leaders announced a historic partnership with Morehouse College and, and Clark Atlanta University. And you mentioned, you know, you, you being um, a, an alum of the illustrious uh, Spelman College, you gotta mm -hmm. put that out front. Um, and, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so just, let's just sort of play this out. We have a fresh woman at, at Spelman College who is saying, I want to be a school principal one day. What will the position, what will school leadership look like for her when she becomes a school principal, you know, 10 to 12 years from now? What will school leadership look like for her and what should she be preparing, preparing for now as she's matriculating through Spelman College? So I, I invite you to think about our experiences while here at South by Southwest in, in Austin. 
um, how we are interfacing with one another, uh, how we walk through, you know, the exhibit halls and have a chance to uh, engage in different components of uh, this this entire facility to connect, how we tailored our interest in terms of what we wanted to participate in while here by virtue of our strengths, uh, where we'd like to grow, uh, how we've had a chance to have a platform to engage, uh, whether that's through an app or through social media, uh, and then how we continue to plan for that level of thoughtfulness even after uh, we leave here. So Lisa, what does that have to do with uh, a teacher 10 years from now? I, I think we better realize sooner than later that classrooms of tomorrow and schools of tomorrow have to meet a level of engagement that is happening in the right now. And if we continue, and I said this while on stage earlier, if we continue to uh, have this expectation that the way we engage in class or in school looks like the way all of us did, I think we are we are being misleading and we are doing a disservice to the profession. Schools of the future, leaders of the future must prepare to be able to shape schools so that students can engage anywhere at any time relative to learning, uh, that there are platforms to help facilitate that, that we meet students and in their individual needs as opposed to just a collective class. Because when we look at their individual skill set, we can help them move to a level of mastery. And school leaders, principals have to help be the visionary or the lead for that, uh, that we engage with our parent community, with our teacher community and our student community in such a way that we're all co-creators of the experience, just like here in the South by Southwest EDU experience. Somehow we're all co-creators of what becomes a broader experience with a clear end goal. That's what I believe new leaders have to think about while also embracing key factors around evidence-based, research-based best practices tied to, to teaching and learning, whether that's through literacy or mathematics, but also thoughtful that this future principal can create pathways for scholars so that they're entering and touching into their careers before perhaps they've even left middle school. That's the reality of schools of the future, Curtis. And so I, I could go on and on about that, but I liken it to this conference, to how we need to rethink and reshape a school experience for a student. Then we need to make sure we're thinking about that level of leadership development for that fresh woman at Spelman, who within a matter of four years, or maybe six, because they perhaps will go to the classroom and then into a, a leadership position, should be forward thinking as well. That sounds a lot like student-centered learning. And I, I think, you know, that's something that I learned here um, in Austin, but also, you know, what I'm seeing around the country, I, I often shout out a school in Indianapolis called the Purdue Polytechnic High School, yeah. where students on a weekly basis actually reach out to teachers and they're not even called teachers, they're called coaches. And hmm. they, they schedule time with the coaches, almost like office hours. Yes. And, and, and so you decide, I want to sit with the math teacher a little bit longer this week, as opposed to the language arts teacher, or the science teacher, and it's project-based learning. You know, it is really students really having the, the power to control, you know, how much time they spend in order to really put ensure that they're responding to the group needs, but also the individual needs and through assessments uh, that are not punitive, but more right. evaluative to say, hey, this is what you need improvement on. And so now you go out and get on, you know, Miss Herring's, you know, list or Mr. Valentine's list and they'll help you. And so that's a lot of that's a lot of power you're giving students. Um, but I think over time they'll be able to step up. I completely agree. And I think we have to be 
bold and comfortable and assured enough to give them that level of power because that develops certain characteristics within them. And they deserve that experience sooner than later because it shapes their own leadership uh, leadership journey. I, I also appreciate the, just you giving that example because that is what I think many leaders have to embrace. They have to see it. They have to experience it. And if I can be candid, they have to know that if that's not what we're doing, we're actually behind. And so um, we don't have the luxury of being behind. We've been disrupted, but we have not been uh, destroyed or we've not been in this place where we uh, aren't able to move. We've just got to move with an accelerated commitment to catching up and then moving beyond that. Well, let's let's talk Atlanta. Um, and, you know, again, when you were announced as as superintendent, you know, I might not be the first person that reached out to you, but I hope I was one of the one of the first because I was just so proud to know. Uh, that that you were coming into that role because so many people just have such high expectations for the city, but we also know the importance of the school system um, on the future of the city. And and so my question is, what differentiates Atlanta public schools from other districts in this fight towards really pushing school leadership forward? What are you all doing differently than than others in this space? Well, you know, I, I said it just a little while ago on, on stage, and then I'll hone in a little bit more specifically to your question. I've had the, what, so what, what sets Atlanta aside, and then what sets Atlanta aside in this space of leadership development and the direction we're trying to go? Uh, so having had the um, good fortune, just honored to have served in cities like Birmingham, Alabama, even Macon, Georgia, my home city, Charleston, South Carolina, Louisville, Kentucky, each of them have their own uh, contribution to America's uh, uh, um, history and narrative. Uh, Atlanta is the international city of all that I've named. Atlanta is known and identified as yet in it as an international city. And as many of my um, Atlanta peers like to say, Atlanta influences everything. I drink that same Kool-Aid. I'm a believer in that. I'm a Georgia girl all day. Georgia peach born and raised. But as an international city, we also have a responsibility about being an international leader. What does that mean for public education and Atlanta public schools? I think it's multifaceted. Number one, uh, I am clear that we should and need to and must be an exemplar around innovative thought for leadership design, leadership development for school principals. Uh, you heard us share on stage even the pipeline or pathway that's being developed with new leaders through Morehouse College as well as Clark Atlanta. We've already pushed in to say so as we're building a, a pathway for future principals, Atlanta Public Schools wants to make sure that we are the recipient of those candidates in our own partnership in establishing MOUs. As I talk about being able to shape and build uh, uh, principal leaders in this field of technology, I've partnered um, in, um, uh, in uh, back in Atlanta with uh, Ed Farm, which is an arm of Apple, where we're helping to develop student fellows and teacher fellows and leadership fellows, uh, leader fellows, helping them to better understand that intersection between technology and teaching and learning. And then even more so, we've spent the last year 
I didn't get the chance to talk about that as much on stage around the what we call APS Next. Uh, how is Atlanta Public Schools strategically preparing for schools and classrooms of the future? I created a performance division that has a Department of Innovation, uh, Improvement and Redesign. And the sole purpose is to help school principals be thoughtful about how do we move and scale out this notion of schools of the future and having students, teachers, and parents be co-creators in that work. I could go on and on. I know you probably don't need me to consume all the time with that, but there is passion for me in this. There is a critical necessity in this. And let me also add by saying, and Atlanta ha has a mayor who is uh, right in step with, the, with our commitment to innovation and doing this work and our commitment to changing the trajectory of the life of every child that we serve. And that starts with leadership and beyond the superintendent and the mayor, it's obviously our school principals and our teachers who are the front line. And conferences like this help ensure that we not only put that message out, but we're also able to identify some additional best practices. No, and I, I would agree wholeheartedly. Um, and your passion definitely comes through both in person um, and, and through the, uh, you know, through this podcast. Uh, you were joined, you know, on stage uh, in your talk uh, by Donald Fenoy you know, uh, a, a fellow superintendent now, now the chief for change. Um, talk, talk to your fellow superintendents, you know, what advice do you give district leaders who really have a passion for, for teachers and for pair and for preparing teachers for this future of learning that we're, that they're talking about here at South by, but also you're, we're hearing around the country, what is your advice to superintendents who are really trying to ensure their teachers are prepared for the future of learning? Yes. And so I think, uh, you know, it's important to note uh, Donald and I were just sitting next to each other. And uh, I had a reality check even while sitting uh, on, on stage on, on the platform. I'm about five years into having served as a superintendent. And certainly I have learned a tremendous amount uh, along the way. Um, and when I talk to uh, uh, superintendents who we jokingly sometimes say are recovering superintendents or active superintendents, I'm extraordinarily <laughs> reflective around my day-to-day -day, uh, responsibility. And I hear from my superintendent peers who are friends and colleagues across the country, particularly those in their first year of superintendency who have thought it meaningful to call me to get advice. And I'm humbled and I'm humbled and I'm honored in that. And yet it just dawned on me, well, Lisa, you've been doing this long enough that you can perhaps share some words of, of reflection. So here's my answer, uh, Curtis, to that. First and foremost, um, as the superintendent, we are reminded daily that our sole responsibility is to champion the entire organization. But as I said just recently on stage, our core business is teaching and learning. And if our core business is teaching and learning, at the center of that are two key, uh, two key leaders in that are teachers and students. Uh, it is critical that as we try to focus on reshaping and reinventing and reimagining schools of the future, teacher voice has to be at the center of that. Teachers are critically needed in the relationship building, uh, the co-creating, and, 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 and also the innovative part of how do we prepare for schools of the future and how do we meet students where they are. So we must pour into them. We must provide the appropriate professional development. We must be bold in our decision making and also in our ownership of looking at and assessing our teacher workforce. Do we have enough 
female teachers? Do we have enough male teachers? Have we accounted for our deficit or our need to increase the number of black male teachers or Latino teachers or teachers of color? It is a reality that is critically important that makes it mission critical in this field called public education. And then looking for exemplars and building master teachers uh, so that they can help build more master teachers so that they can all be co-creators of the narrative that shapes our school system and that they're valued. Because you know, the other truth, Curtis, is that everyone has some level of fatigue right now on the journey. Principals, uh, and I, I just said this, you know, on, on, the, on the panel, principals as well as teachers, we can see it in their faces. So we also have to be thoughtful about their wellness, how to pour into them, how to ensure that they feel that they are valued and that they have a pathway as a teacher to elevate and move forward like the work we're doing uh, with new leaders. These are the things that a superintendent, among the other things, the day-to-day -day operations and working with our uh, school boards, but these are the things that I think we must be thoughtful about as we think about championing the role of the classroom teacher. You know, you summed it up so well. And, you know, superintendents have a lot on their mind, you know, and, you know, priorities matter, uh, but there's so much to be done and so many concerns and so many opportunities uh, that it's important that you keep, you know, keep what's important at, at the forefront. What I'm hearing from superintendents, um, and that's including in my own district here in, in Prince George's County, Marilyn, I want to shout out Monica Golson, uh, who actually just became a member of Teach for Change um, recently. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, and so my question to you is, you know, are you, you know, are you concerned about this talk about a teacher exodus in the fall? You know, people are saying, you know, there's there's talk about teachers not coming back to school in the fall, but there's also research. I'm saying that oftentimes those responses from teachers don't always pan out over time and eventually um, the numbers aren't nearly as drastic as people say. So what are your thoughts? And do you have concerns about the fall and whether APS will have all the teachers uh, it needs to, to open doors? Well, back in Atlanta, we have a responsibility to always be in tune and responsive to what we believe uh, is a shaping narrative around teacher retention and teacher recruitment. So to answer your question, is there a concern? Well, there has to be. It's our core business, right? They are our main employers. They are our frontline. They are frontline leaders. Uh, Atlanta has been fortunate that we've not experienced a dramatic um, decline in terms of uh, our teacher workforce or even teacher vacancies have not increased dramatically. We've tried to be intentional around um, be, uh, modeling what we believe in re relative to valuing teachers, but we all better pay attention to the fact that there is a shift occurring in, the society, in our society. And that's where school systems and superintendents play a, a lead role in helping to reshape this narrative. We are human beings. I said this just you know recently on stage. We we can physically exhaust ourselves. We mentally can only do but so much. And in this profession in public education called teaching, uh, we do uh, exhaust a great bit of mental capacity and intellectual uh, and, and intellectual property. So how do we protect and invest in that is the question to ask. Um, and how do we make ourselves competitive? And just as equally important, how do we compete with those other employers? 
players who are starting to capture the attention of our teachers so that we become a primary uh, employer versus secondary. Um, uh, even in Atlanta uh, public schools, when I return, we've got some innovative uh, discussions occurring around what have we learned from this uh, hybrid or virtual model that we can take into this next year that allows for us to be just as equally competitive and think about what were some of the exemplars from virtual learning that helps the teaching profession. And guess who we're using to help us define that uh, classroom teachers. Uh, so yeah, that we better pay attention. That's without without question. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This was an amazing conversation um, from an amazing leader. Um, before I let you go, I did have one last question, um, and let's so let's let's talk South by Southwest EDU 2023. What will we be talking about next year? at next year's South by Southwest? What will be the top of mind to topics that leaders from around the country are going to be discussing a year from now? So let's do some vision casting and uh, speaking those things as though they are, that's what I would say. Uh, you know, as, as I return back to Atlanta and I'm thoughtful about um, our planning now for next year, the 2022-23 academic year. I am curious around the interface of um, reinventing or reshaping what the classroom looks like. Uh, and I mean, in its physical aesthetic, I am very curious around some opportunities to incorporate our artificial intelligence and augmented reality into the classroom. Uh, we are going to be um, investing into a cohort of teachers and principal leaders around that intersection that I mentioned of technology and teaching and learning. And so the, in 2023, I would like to believe that part of what we'll see here will be more conversations around what does, what does innovation in the classroom and in the school and in the public system look like? What role do you play regardless of your stakeholder position? How is that transforming learning? Um, what has been the success of even what we just talked about on stage with investing in uh, new leaders and leadership development and making certain that we're accounting for the diversity of the scholars that we serve? And for all of the funds that we've invested around uh, social and emotional wellness, are we well and are we better? And if we are, what are we doing even more to make certain that in um, the public entity, public education, that our children are well and so are the adults that are um, providing a, a critical service for them? And how can we also then take that wellness and shift innovation to redesign uh, the learning process? I think there's going to be a wide menu of opportunity to find exemplars across the country to say, so here's what we did to make things happen. That's what I hope and believe that we will see in the 2023 version of South by Southwest EDU, uh, just Lisa's little version of the public education component. That's a great place to, to conclude this podcast. Again, I want to thank you so much for, for being my guest on uh, the Rise Report series of the Radically Pragmatic podcast. Again, uh, I'm Curtis Valentine. Uh, my guest today was Dr. Lisa Herring, the superintendent of the Atlanta public school system here from Austin, Texas. Thank you all for uh, listening in today to this series. Um, and we look forward to uh, coming back to you with another amazing guest for our Rise Report series from here at South by Southwest EDU in Austin, Texas. Thank you so much, doctor, for joining me. It's been my pleasure and thank you. Best to you and stay well. You too. Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? 
follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.